Jeffries. Congratulations, Jeff. For what? For getting rid of that cast. Who said I was getting rid of it? This is Wednesday, seven weeks from the day you broke your leg. Yes or no? Gunnison, how did you ever get to be such a big editor with such a small memory? Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen. It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis, and this is episode number 244. And our movie this week is 1954's Rear Window, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, and here to talk with me about it, if you haven't seen it before, it's Jeannie. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. So, so last time you were on the show we discussed a movie that kicked off the Disney animation renaissance. We talked about The Little Mermaid. Uh, you hadn't yes. seen that one before. And then not too long ago, you kind of got a hold of me and you're like, hey, I haven't seen, you You said you hadn't seen any Alfred Hitchcock movies? That's correct. I've never seen any of them. And so not, not even I said, Psycho. I haven't, I've seen, you know, I've, se- I've seen all the, the highlights that, 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 you know, the clips that they always use when they, talk about Hitchcock, but no, I've never actually seen any of his movies. So I jumped at that chance because watching Alfred Hitchcock, <laughs> I always love doing. And any excuse I have to to watch his movies, to talk about his movies is great. So um, we talked a, a little bit about what to, what to do and we settled on Rear Window. So first thing I want to ask you is why Rear Window and how is it that it was, where it was Hitchcock just something that kind of was outside of your wheelhouse and you just never got around to it. Um, so kind of give me a little background there. Um, yeah, I, well, I decided on Rear Window because, um, well, you had said you'd already watched Psycho and I really didn't want to watch <laughs> Psycho I, anyway because I wanted to do something a little different. Everybody talks about Psycho. Um, sure. I'm sure, um, you know, with good reason. Um, but I've heard about Rear Window and, you know, we've, we've seen – there are definitely modern movies that have taken the entire concept of it and redone it. Um, in fact, we, we just had a, a couple of years ago with Kristen Bell, we had a, a kind of a parody of it. I had, I, you know, I had an idea of what it was about, but I'd never, I never seen it. Um, sure. And that was, it was probably the one that I knew the most about, you know, even uh, besides the birds and that, and even then only vaguely. Okay. So um, I thought, well, let's, let's watch that. Cause I mean, Jimmy Stewart, Jimmy Stewart's always fun to watch. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so. so I have seen rear window before, but it has been quite a while. Um, you sort of always like, the, the concept behind it is pretty simple. What I love about this movie is it follows my, my thing that I talk about a lot, which is keep the movie, the plot simple, but let the story unfold in a complex manner and make your characters more interesting and more complex. They don't, it doesn't have to be yeah. uh, memento, right. Of like this mind bending narrative right. that can work. But you don't need yeah. that. You can bring your audience along for a fun ride and just make it interesting characters to talk about and then casting those characters well. And that Hitchcock was so good at manipulating his audience 
which we're yeah. going to get into a little bit too, and kind of how he played them. Um, so as your first Alfred Hitchcock film that you've seen now, overall, what did you think? How was that first watch experience? Overall, it was a good experience. Um, uh, Hitchcock lives up to the hype. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really liked how, in addition to being small, uh, being simple, he starts small and just starts mm -hmm. expanding. You don't, you're not really sure what is happening, and he just yeah. keeps expanding out um, everything that's going on around him. Um, it also made me realize I am uh, I am paranoid for a good reason, and curtains and blinds <laughs> are a good thing. <laughs> yes um yes on both accounts i like i like both of those observations um it, it's great because the movie starts off first what i love is i love classic movie openings where you have a song and you have your credits all up front there's something fun about that and kind of there's just a nostalgia for me looking at like old hollywood and old films where they throw all the credits for you right yeah. up front whether it's a yeah, before they change uh, all the contracts. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, whether it's kind of a, a um, Saul Bass type opening with like really ornate animation that he would do for things like Psycho or the Pink Panther or whatever it was. Or if it's this right where it's just the words on the screen. But when you go back and rewatch this, uh, if you do pay attention to the framing of the image that you're seeing behind the uh the credits because right away Hitchcock is already starting his movie and starting what he's doing behind the credits in this. Um, cause he's got that big three bay window and he's, they're slowly bringing the blinds up and you're slowly getting a reveal of this place. Um, before the credits end and they push in on the window, like somebody walking up to the window to look outside. And I just absolutely love that. And plus the, the song playing that jazzy tune that's going on is like, just this really fun upbeat yeah. doesn't really set you up at all for what the movie is going to be. So it's already messing Not with your expectations. <laughs> yeah. It's got this jazzy upbeat thing and all that. And then suddenly the movie kind of flips on you and it's this paranoid thriller really that's going on. Um, yeah. And you know, Hitchcock was the master of suspense and that, that was his title given to him by people. And, and honestly, he earned it. I mean, he was so good at creating suspense and creating situations and movies where you're never entirely sure exactly what's going on from moment to moment. Or if you do think you've got it figured out, he's kind of sitting back there watching you like, oh, oh, just you wait. Like, we're going to have some fun with you. And I yeah. think the quote was uh, from him was, I like to play the audience like a piano. <laughs> which is really cool because like he's he it's almost like he's watching you watch his movies while you're doing it but from the outside in um and it's right. also fun that he always has his cameos uh in all of his movies yeah i spotted that i spotted the hitchcock cameo definitely oh, yeah. spotted that um but um one of the reasons i i think one of the reasons why i had never watched any hitchcock before is i have um I guess you could say a mental block when it comes to something being labeled as a classic, mm -hmm. um, whether it's books or movies or TV shows. 
I, I, I when, when people label something as classic, the implication to me is you're supposed to watch it. And I don't want to do what people want me to do. <laughs> so I don't, you know, I, I don't, if it's a classic, I have an inherent block. I'm not going to, I'm not going to watch it. I mean, I didn't even watch, uh, I didn't watch um, The Godfather until three years ago, four years ago. Um, partly because I'd seen Goodfellas and I and Casino and I realized that mob movies just aren't my thing. But at the sure. same time, you know, Godfather is the one that everybody wants you to, to watch. So I'm not going to watch it. Um, you know, classic books. I Most classic books I've never read. Um, I was surprised uh, when I watched Dune. I, when I read Dune, because I really, I, I liked the movie. I, I know I'm, I'm one of those people out there that liked the movie, uh -huh. <laughs> but I really enjoyed the book. And, and, but at the same time, I had, I had read the book spaced out enough that I, that, that I didn't have the movie in, in, intruding into what I was reading in the book. Sure. I had vague memories of, of scenes, but, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, 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 so, so that's, I think that's probably why I never watched uh, any Hitchcock before, but and yeah, that's interesting. lives up to the hype. Yeah. It's interesting to me because I sort of, I understand that mindset, right. Of this, this idea that like, well, everybody's saying this thing is the thing that you should watch or you should read or you should listen to. I don't know. And I can understand that in part yeah. because sometimes you can then build unreasonable expectations of what that thing is going to be. And then when you watch it and it doesn't alter your perception or change your life in some profound way, it's very good, but it doesn't yeah. do that thing that's been built up for, then it can kind of, yeah. it can feel like a letdown, which is one of my things that I have been kind of talking about a lot, especially lately. Um, but it's a, it's something that I have tried to do myself when it comes to, my media literacy, whether it's reading a book, whether it's listening to an album, watching a movie, whatever it is, is to try and take the thing on its own merits. What is it? What is the movie? What is the book? Not yeah. what I think it should be or what others have told me it mm -hmm. should be. Mm -hmm. the, that can factor into it. But I also want to say like Dune, for instance, Dune's a great example because as a novel, Dune is so influential on so much science fiction. And so much of what we think Absolutely. of in science fiction. But it has also been set on this pedestal, especially the, the, the novel of Dune, not even taking into account all of the subsequent novels and things that have gone on. That novel has been kind of put on this pedestal. And then I can talk to people who have read it in the last couple of years, especially younger people. And they're like, it's boring. It's just boring politics the whole way through. I was like, well, yeah, yes. I get that. It's dry. Lord of the Rings is another one. People that didn't grow up with that can read it and it's going to read as a little bit dry um, and somewhat boring because yeah. it's basically just a road novel. But yeah, you can also say, well, there's that, but there's also you have to think about it in the context of when that thing was created as well. So like Rear Window, for instance. For sure. This movie, somebody could watch it today and think, well, that's not much of a thriller. Like it doesn't, it didn't keep me in suspense the whole time. I was kind of bored by it. But if you look at it from the lens of it's 1954 and you're going to a movie theater to watch this movie, 
and you take it for what it is there, it changes things. Exorcist mm -hmm. is another example. That's one I just recently was talking to people about where the Exorcist scared people in 1972, 1973, when it came when for it sure. theaters. And people today are like, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't see why it's scary. And you kind of have to think about the fact that, well, number one, like our whole world is different in the last 50 years, but mm -hmm. with something like the exorcist, which is so grounded in, in Catholicism and religion for its impact, that's a totally different world than what we're getting now. And a lot of those reports of people fainting in movies and stuff, those were, that was New York city. That was Chicago. That was, you know, these places that are, these big cities that have higher Catholic populations, it's going to hit yeah. completely different well, and, versus and, somebody and agnostic. The whole the whole concept of demon possession in nineteen seventy two completely different than what it is now. Because uh, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll and I'll tell you, even even when um, I saw the second one, extra, the um, no Amityville two, the possession. I saw that. Okay. I saw that when I was a teenager. And that was uh, that was uh, the 80s. And it was the height of the satanic panic. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up Catholic. Demon possession, terrifying. Amityville 2, the possession is not a good movie. And if I went back and saw it today, I would not be scared by it. I saw the protagonist in that movie at the end of my bed every night for a week. It scared yeah. the crap out of me. And again, it's not a good movie. It's not on the same level. It's not even on the same level as it's uh, uh, Amityville or yeah. The Exorcist or um, the one with uh, with the one with Damien. I forget what that, oh, the, um, omen. the omen, the, yeah. the omen, you know, those that that entire uh, concept of demon possession gripped people in a literally scare the crap out of your way at that time oh yeah it's totally oh, yeah. different now Pe people don't see because people actually believed in demon possession then it's not as prevalent now people still do believe in that but not as not like it like like they did then certainly yeah certainly not as widespread uh, as it was then there's no. pockets of it today but there's so much more and part of it is we have so much more media we have so much more um, information at our fingertips. And also yeah. we've got 50 years of derivative movies and yeah. derivative stories telling that story that something like um, slasher films, if you're into slasher films, all of your slasher films owe a debt to Halloween and black Christmas and Texas chainsaw massacre and people that watch sure. those today for the first time and have never seen them before say, well, they're boring or they're dumb or I didn't find it scary at all, but without those movies, those movies had to walk yeah. so that the rest of these franchises could run. And, and pacing Hitchcock, is so much different. Oh, pacing is completely different. I mean, filmmaking in general. Hitchcock was so good at creating the suspense and pacing things, but it's a different era of filmmaking. Like this movie is very suspenseful if you really dig into it and you start to think about it. And what makes it work for me is two things. Number one, it's the way Alfred Hitchcock plays the audience and sets everything inside of one apartment and this little apartment building or complex. 
And that's where you are, which I kind of want to dive into a little bit more um, in a minute. But the other thing that makes this work is Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart as your protagonist in this, because as a person, as an actor, you like him. He's a friendly, jovial person. He comes across very nice. And his character, for the most part, is okay, but he's also a little bit morally gray. Just a little bit. He's kind of on the fence of things where he's like, he is basically, he's just sitting in his apartment. I was surprised at that. Yeah. I was he's surprised kind of a peeping that because Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy Stewart's reputation as an actor mm-hmm. um, and his roles, you know, he's very likable. He's very nice. And he's kind of borderline asshole in this. He really is. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of is, um, which movie was it? I think it was Once Upon a Time in the West that cast Henry Fonda as the villain. I want to say it was Once Upon a Time in the West. And like, that was a huge thing at the time because like Henry Fonda was, was the man and he was the protagonist. He was always the good guy. Yeah. And so in Grapes of Wrath, 12 Angry Men, he's always the pinnacle of, of he's a paragon of virtue. Yes. And, and then in you know, that movie, you him see him and he was the mm-hmm. hero. Yeah. And then you see him in once upon a time in the West and he's not a good person. And it like, it mess yeah. it, it, it screws with your head a little bit. And so having Jimmy Stewart be not the nicest person in the world, like he's not a bad person by any stretch, but I had notes here. Like, well, why you gotta be such a dick to her? Like, that kind yeah, exactly. of thing as I'm watching it this time again. <laughs> yeah, one one of my notes were, um, why are you with her if you hate everything about her? Right, exactly. <laughs> and so, like, for him to be that character, you you instinctively like him, but now you're like, ooh, I don't know about him. So now he becomes slightly untrustworthy. And now you as the yeah. audience get to question his motivations, his leaps in logic, and what is it he's seeing and not seeing because coupled with and compounded by the fact that we are in his apartment with him the entire movie. We never leave it. We never see anything he can't see. And we never have a conversation with anyone that he isn't having a conversation with. And I think that that is some of the brilliance of this movie is everything is through the lens of LB Jeffries. Yeah. Uh, and, and I was, so, I was, I was questioning things. I was going back and forth throughout the whole movie. Mm -hmm. Is this really happening? Is that really happening? Or is he just being paranoid? Because it's also kind of an explanation, exploration of one man's paranoia and how that Mm -hmm. escalates. Yeah. And how it not only escalates for him. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And it escalates for him and then it spreads to other people. Right. Because now all of a sudden, Liza uh she she gets it grace kelly who is phenomenal in this grace kelly was so yeah i, I loved yeah, every minute yeah. with her and and with stella yeah. with thelma ritter's character she starts to get in on it and then they're both part of it and yeah at my, my i was like too. a little bit but also there's there's a there's an interesting dynamic between uh lb jeffries and and liza um because they have this relationship and it's established at the beginning of the movie that they have been in this relationship for a while. Um, but she, she has very deep feelings for him and wants to settle down. And there's something about, he's in this mindset of like, and I think there's, it's kind of 
two-pronged, right? There's there's some self-deprecation of it where it's like, she's too perfect to be with me. She's too beautiful. I'm just some schlub who takes pictures and traipses around the world doing that and living paycheck to paycheck. And uh, also a sense of like, well, she's this uptown uh, kind of almost aristocratic person, right? She's been a model. She works for these big companies, is used to money that's not the type of person I want because I'm going to be wearing combat boots and going out, taking pictures on the Serengeti. And so it's like this double-sided she, she's too good for me. She's not good enough to be in my world or, you know, that kind of thing going on. Meanwhile, yeah. she's just like, I, yeah. I love you. And I love the line. Um, I'm in love with you. And I just want to be a part of, of that. Like, I just want to be a part of your life in some way. She didn't care how, didn't matter to her. Yeah. She was, yeah. She was bringing a lot of her life to him, right? Bringing the guy from the, the restaurant to cook or bring food or whatever it was. But at the end yeah. of the day, she really wouldn't have cared at all. Um, no. So when she he was starts more concerned to concerned that he wasn't eating. Yeah. Yes. And then when he starts <laughs> getting paranoid and that paranoia rises, it infects her with it because she wants to be part of his life so badly that she's willing to make some of these leaps with him, even though that first they don't make sense to her. Right. Because at first she's like, no, whatever. You're just being weird. Quit, quit staring at other people. And then <laughs> she, she joins in and then, and then she gets proactive about it and she wants to even go further than he's willing to go. So I thought that was really yeah. interesting. Um, but I, again, I come back to, I just love the fact that we get as an audience, plop down in this apartment with James Stewart and we don't leave. We can't leave. All we ever see is what's out his window. And we never go, the camera never goes into any of those other apartments except through the windows. No. Yeah. Which I thought was yeah. really cool. Um, that yeah. too. And I don't know if you noticed this or, or if it registered or not, but all the sound, all the music, save for that opening song, is diegetic it's all within the scenes it's all what they are yeah. hearing. like if we're hearing music yeah lb jeffries is hearing that music and i love that too there's yeah. just something yeah, yeah that's that's that is definitely something that i notice i'm i'm like okay the score is all the piano guy yep yeah and i was like uh, oh um, wow what a different like, way to use a score <laughs> yeah, and what a and what a fun way to to bring your audience into your movie and really really then create a world around that. We never we literally never leave this courtyard in this apartment. Um and what I love about it too is again, it's old school filmmaking where that's all just a big set they built on a back lot. Um yeah. and if you're looking like yeah. you can tell where the where the set ends and they just had like uh, facade for the for the skyline and there's something i just love yeah. about that look of things but what a yeah. what an amazing set to build too like thing was big and yeah it's it that romanticized what well, um go ahead something else i i thought kind of aside from that mm -hmm. this is the classic where at this point we are well versed in what the look is of New York. 
Yes. And it's very obvious that this is a courtyard of an apartment build, a group of apartment buildings in New York. Mm -hmm. They only yes. mention it once, but it's very obvious right from the start. Yes. And it's that classic New York. It's like uh, if you've ever seen The Apartment or, you know, anything from this kind of era, that's what New York looked like. And it's that romanticized version of like what you want New York to be. Um and it's there's just something really cool about that where our only glimpse to the world beyond this courtyard is that little alleyway that goes out to the street and we just see occasional shots that show cars drive by and people walking by and that little restaurant and that's it the this yeah. for 6 weeks this man's entire world has existed within these like four buildings um so i can understand where the paranoia happens by the way if you're stuck inside that that room oh, with nothing sure. to watch he didn't have a tv he didn't have the internet. He didn't have, he didn't have a bunch of books to read. Yeah. He was just sleeping in a wheelchair and, uh, and, and watching his neighbors. And I like too the yeah. use of lighting, the, the use of lighting in the movie, because again, him and his position, if the lights are off or the shades are drawn, that might as well not exist, right? There's just nothing there. Yeah. And so we, as an audience, same thing. We don't know then what's going yeah. on in there. So now we get to fill in some blanks. We get to, to, to pro produce our own story. And he used that. Yeah, and inside of his apartment, mm -hmm. not, not, not just the light inside of his apartment itself, the use of shadow, impressive, yes. seriously mm -hmm. impressive. Some great stuff like with him half in shadow and then his lower half would be, you know, not in the shadow, but so he's again, he's riding that fence. He's not fully in the dark but he's not fully in the light either. Or he would be yeah. when there was nothing for him to look at, when there was nothing for him to do, but kind of stew in his own thoughts, he'd be fully lit. But then when he wasn't quite sure if what he was doing was right or not, he'd back up and he'd be in that shadow. He'd be partially behind it or somebody else would be that way. And again, this is Hitchcock yeah. framing his shots and staging everything and doing all this stuff. And then he has yeah. the brilliance to bring in the character of Tom Doyle, the detective and that first scene with him is so good because so we oh okay before i get to tom doyle let's let's go back to the beginning of the movie because that opening where it pushes in on the window and then we just get a couple of panning shots right we get a we get a pan around the the courtyard looking into the different windows kind of seeing everybody yeah. and then we see him sleeping and then we see the, like the next layer of people so we've got the couple sleeping on their fire escape which cracked me up because it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah me too. No. i was like oh the days before the days before central air okay <laughs> yep when it's when it's 95 degrees in new york what are you gonna do sleep outside uh yeah. which was great then when it started raining because i'm like that's the downside to it now you gotta haul all that crap back in um but you had that that couple but, and um Go ahead. And the interesting the, the interesting thing about about sleeping outside is it kind of reminded me I did a um I did a tour of the I forget what the name of the estate is in 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 um it's in North Carolina but it's okay. uh the um one of the one of the tobacco barons one of the cigarette company 
guys. Sure. Their their estate is uh is you can do a tour of it. And okay. one of the things from the tour, turn of the century that that time frame is um when tuberculosis was very prevalent. That is one of the things that they would do is they would sleep outside because they they thought it was healthier. So I, I kind of reminded me of that that entire mindset because 1954 isn't that far away from that. No. No, not as far as you would think. Like, um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. But like you have them and then we meet, we see um, Miss Torso, the ballet dancer. And she's just, yeah. she's very, she's very open with herself. She's got her windows wide open. She's wandering around dancing and she doesn't care that people are watching her. Uh, she like a lot yeah. of them don't, uh, but we see the musician and he's always playing that same piano piece trying to perfect that and like that that first little bit of the movie we meet all of these characters and we sort of already begin to build our idea of who they are you've got the weird couple sleeping on their fire escape the couple that are kind of squabbling and she's sick on the bed and he's you know kind of in and out and she and it seems like she nags him a lot and you've got the lady downstairs yeah. that we don't know yet is kind of single by herself. Uh, her story unfolds a little bit later. And you've got the newlywed couple coming into the apartment for the first time. And you sort of get this, which their story was kind of fun for me, too, just because of the way it unfolded. We're like, they seem so happy when they come inside. Mm -hmm. And then they close the blinds and you sort of forget about them for a while. And then they, they pop up a couple of times yeah. each time you start to question what's going on with them now each time, because he sort of opens the window and then you just hear his name in the background and he kind of closes the window and goes to her. And it's sort of like, well, what's going on with them? We never, we don't really know until the very end. And like all this stuff is going on. And then when Tom Doyle comes along by this point, Jeff thinks that, you know, the guy across the way has done something. He doesn't know exactly what yet, but something nefarious has happened. He thinks he's maybe off his wife or something. When Doyle gets there, yeah. that whole scene, Hitchcock sets it up to make you not believe that Jeff saw what he saw. Because right. we saw um, Mr. Thorwald leave his apartment with somebody while, while Jeffries was asleep. So yeah. we as the audience have that information that he doesn't. Um, and then yeah. Doyle, even the way everything is framed, Tom is always framed in the center of the frame. He's the focal point of it. He's usually framed to be um, like he's standing while Jeffries is sitting in the wheelchair. So he's above him in the conversation. Like there's some of those visual cues and everything is, is framed and meant to kind of put, that seed of doubt in your head, which is brilliant at that point in the movie, because now for the rest of the movie, we're not really sure. Maybe it's something going on. Maybe not. Right. And you can interpret it whatever way you want. <laughs> and that's what's so good about it is everything that happens from then on is done so ambiguously. And then not having the context of like, there's no dialogue between LB Jeffries and any of these people except for. Yeah. Stella, Tom, and Liza. Like that's it. Nobody else does he yeah. uh does he talk to. So we don't get any of that. It's just I just love that. I love that storytelling kind of mechanism. 
Um, we don't even hear Thorwald really speak. We hear him through the phone. Yeah. And then at the end when he's in the apartment, that's the only yeah. time we actually hear him speak. I mean, it's kind of faded off into the background, but really that's the only time we actually hear him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Other than that, it's like you get, and, and we don't hear any of them, which is kind of interesting, right? We, we never hear Mrs. Torso or Miss Torso. And so all we know about her is basically what Jeffries has inferred. Like he's inferred that. Yeah. And I love, I love that he has this idea that she is like just sort of young and living her life and just being with whoever she wants to. And yeah, she's a bit of a gadfly. Yeah. And, and, uh, Grace Kelly's character, Liza, Liza, Lisa, I think it was Liza, but I think it's she Lisa. comes in and she, she comes in and immediately pegs it. Right. Her first thing is like, no, no, no. She doesn't love any of those guys. She doesn't care about any of them. She's just doing this to help like further her career to fur she's getting something out of it, but it's not uh, a fulfilling relationship or anything she's looking for. This is just like, kind of purely professional type stuff she's doing. And, uh, yeah. And, and then there's that mirror because that's kind of how she feels about Jeffries. She has all this stuff going on and could have her pick of just about anybody, but she loves this dude for whatever reason and, and is going to stick with yeah. him. So like there's that going on. And then you've got Mrs. Lonely heart down in her, her apartment. Um, and we, when we first really see her, it's it's her sitting there, having a fake date with someone, like an imaginary person. Right. I was which like, is, oh my god. Yeah, it's like it's heartbreaking <laughs> to watch, and then she breaks down, yeah. and a little bit of that is kind of that's L. B. Jeffries. That's the path he could go down, not necessarily the way he would act, but his his mentality of like, no, 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 uh, she's too good for me. I don't belong with her. I don't belong with anybody. This is sort of a little bit of a glimpse into his, what his future could be like being alone, uh, all the time. Right. And right. That is, I think a little bit, uh, a little bit scary for him when Mrs. Lonely Heart grabs all the sleeping pills. And of course the nurse would know what those are. I loved her comment on that. I've, I've given out enough of those to put down like, a a hippo or whatever it was, or half a half yeah. of uh, yeah. whatever burrow. Like it was just, it was so good. But <laughs> And I was, I was honestly, I was just as concerned about her as I was mm -hmm. about Lisa in, in the apartment. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, go back. What's going on with her? <laughs> I was too. Them? Please don't take them. <laughs> and, and I was really concerned about that too. And then I love how her story wraps up that she, because we saw a glimpse of it early. It's a, it's one of those things that he, he showed a Hitchcock showed his hand a little bit earlier um, where she, Mrs. Lonely Heart's getting upset, but she starts to hear the music. And I think um, Lisa mentions it at some point. And we see like a moment where everybody's sort of listening to the music for just a second. And then it, kind of fades out because he hasn't finished the song yet. He just hasn't piano man hasn't gotten there. And yeah. then Mrs. Lonely Heart spirals again. But that's what ends up pulling her out of it is she finds something worthwhile in this music later on. That's that thing of beauty, that's that thing she was missing that kind of pulls her out of the funk and then she can then connect with somebody because 
her problem was whether you're really whoever you are, we kind of all need a little bit of that, some social interaction, some companionship in some form. Um, for some people, it's a significant yeah. other. For some people, it's a pet, whatever it is, but you need something. And she didn't have that. Yeah. But then to be able to make that something connection with the music. Yourself. Yes. Yes. And she was able to make that connection to the music and thus the piano man who, so, you know, I, yeah, you have to wonder where her story goes from there. But at the same time, it kind of, I don't need to know either. I just, I'm just glad to know that it didn't go. When I first saw her breaking down and, and writing the note, that, that was the moment when she starts writing the letter after we've seen the, yeah. the sleeping pills and she sets us out when she starts writing that letter out, I'm like, Oh no, don't please, please don't go there. I don't need, I don't want that. Cause again, it'd been so long since I'd seen the movie parts of it. I didn't remember. Like I didn't remember that, that bit of her story. Like most of what I remembered was Thorwald and, um, you know, just Jimmy Stewart looking out his his rear window. So I was like, Oh, right. let's not, please, please don't go this route with her. And they didn't. So that, that was a good thing. <laughs> it's more optimistic than that. <laughs> um, and, and you have like, you have the moment with the, um, the dog ends up dead. We never. Oh, crushed me. Oh, it that did. Poor me dog. Too. I mean, first one way ticket to make me upset in a movie is to kill off a pet. Yeah. Um, I, I, I did love the little, the, the little basket setup yeah, they that had great. for the dog that was so cool <laughs> there again that's that old new york old like in in a city sort of setup of like that would never you'd never do that today it would never happen but this idea that they would just lower the basket down with the pup in it and the dog could get out and run around the the courtyard where it wasn't going to run away and then eventually just come back up right. in the basket i thought was awesome it was so great um yeah but it's interesting that the the dog getting even attacked is off screen and there's never any resolution to that. So yeah. I assume that it was Thorwald that did it. And the movie strongly hints at that, but they never full, I don't think ever come out completely and say, maybe they did right at the end. Yeah, they do. That at, at the end, the cop that was questioning Thorwald in oh, his right, right, uh, right. The, 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 in the apartment said something about the something about um, yeah the because the dog was digging digging it up and he had dug he had dug it out dug it yeah, up and put that's it in right. the hat box whatever yeah. it was and they never even mentioned what it was that the dog was digging at yeah that's true they didn't um so yeah it's just there's there's so much to this the only other like i mean grace kelly and jimmy stewart carry this movie but raymond burr as lars thorwald was had had a lot to to do in terms of like oh. that completely he, blew that completely slipped by me that it was raymond Burr. <laughs> okay that makes sense. well it when you only see him from long distances well, without like the that, beard and without the beard, right? Like yeah. I didn't recognize him at first, yeah. Yeah. and then you find out, oh no, it's Perry Mason, <laughs> which is just like, whoa, yeah. hold on, yeah. wait a second. I, I realize um, that now. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but he has so much to do because he has to look both suspicious in his actions, and yet also 
be doing mundane. things that could easily be mon just mundane and 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 sort of explained away and that's not an easy thing yeah. to do like no and he manages to do both sometimes leaning a little more in one direction or another but usually if he's if he's looking more suspicious it's when we get uh it's from the like farther view and when we zoom in on him it's much more innocuous which i thought yeah. was kind of interesting and he's like doing the, it by himself yeah he's not working off of someone else mm -hmm. yeah yeah and he doesn't have i mean he has one scene with a um with jimmy stewart and outside of that he has no dialogue with anybody that's on you know that's prominent it's all stuff happening across the courtyard it's just such a well structured thing and then the way like i say the way hitchcock plays with the audience keeping everything that way putting it all in the one apartment and leaving us there and not letting us go and get this other information is what creates the tension in it because now we're stuck yeah. with jeffries and we're stuck inside of his paranoia and even if you don't buy him if you don't think he's right at all and you're like no nah, this guy's crazy he's just making up stories like that's a perfectly well, plausible explanation because he yeah it just turns out he wasn't he that far being, off right yeah. <laughs> doesn't mean he yeah. wasn't waking it up he was he was making up a story in his head <laughs> yes but but there <coughs> pardon me there again is that kind of uh ethical ambiguity right that sort of moral gray area that he he's living in and i like that he is i also enjoy the fact that lb jeffries is cognizant of that he has a conversation with her at one point talking about is it ethical for me to be doing to be looking in these windows or not and he's sort of like no not really but also if somebody has the lights on and the shades up and the the curtains you know not uh, drawn up um and you happen to look in and see something maybe you shouldn't be busting out binoculars and or a very long focus lens to do that uh that's kind of where maybe. he crosses some lines maybe just saying <laughs> but his counter to that is like they can look back at me if they want to and so that in some ways justifies it in his head doesn't necessarily it doesn't make it yeah. right like still don't do that don't no don't get out a, a telephone the lens end, they don't know that he's person. doing it right right and they are there is an expectation of privacy in your home um even if that home is a, a little studio apartment in a with windows facing a courtyard like there still is so that brings that into into focus right it's like he's not the he's not a paragon of virtue but yet if he wasn't doing what he was doing then the murder of this woman probably would have gone unsolved and this guy might have gotten away with it so it's sort of yeah and because it's jimmy stewart we like him so we're predisposed to believe what he's saying and then slowly we kind of get it unraveling and i actually thought that everything going on with stella and liza was um kind of playing into his paranoia at one point i even wondered it's like i don't do i remember this movie just like as he woke up from a fever dream or something like because everything seemed to be playing out almost too perfectly right for his his story yeah, yeah um but them playing them following him 
I think, and sort of buying into his paranoia, fed it and kept it going. I think if the two of them, especially because Tom didn't, Tom didn't buy it, but, but Jeffrey's never, Jeff never really cared what Tom had to say in a lot of ways. Like, yeah. But if, if Stella and Liza had both sort of tried to talk him off the ledge, he probably could have been swayed to be like, ah, you know what? Maybe, maybe I have just been cooped up for too long and get out of this cast and he'll be fine. Instead, he's going to be in another cast for six or seven weeks (laughs) because now he's got two broken legs at the end. Um, so here's a question for you. Cause I watched, uh, I did watch a real short, uh, portion of an interview with David Lynch of all people. David Lynch was talking about this movie and how much Ooh. he liked it. Um, and how he liked the cozy nature of it. The fact that, that, that small scale nature and how everything just takes place in that one room and all of this. But he did say that he hates the ending. He just was like, the ending is, is just terrible. Um, which I, I kind of understand where he's coming from on that, but I'm curious, what did you think of the ending of actually it being, yes, Lars Thorwald did kill his wife and like the whole thing, he comes and he tries to strangle and throw him off the, the, out the window and all that kind of stuff. Did you like that kind of a resolution or were you expecting it to go in a different direction? Kind of, how did that play out for you? Um, I wasn't thrilled about it. I, I, I thought it was an interesting way for him to for him to deal with it being in the chair and the mm-hmm. flash uh, yes. i thought that was that was a kind of innovative in, in the way that he did that however i they did kind of um veer off of what my expectation was because i thought what was going to end up happening was we're so focused on thorwald and the problem was miss lonely hearts i thought yep. that's where it was gonna go so I actually thought it was going to be the newlywed oh. couple was where my brain was going. Oh, okay. Yeah. I the newlyweds would be that. It. But yeah, I, I was, I, I was expecting a left turn. This was yeah. what I was expecting. I think the reason that I ended up falling off the newlywed thing well before the, the final reveal was that would have felt too much like a, a cheap whodunit revealing the killer is somebody completely unrelated in the last five pages that is a character you've never yeah. seen before at all. So I, I didn't yeah. feel like Hitchcock would do that. So then I was yeah. like, no, it's going to be something to do with Miss Lonely Heart. And like, that's going to be the thing. And he sort of like, and Jeff just didn't pay enough attention to her and what was going yeah. on, even seeing the yeah. warning signs. Kind um, of going back to that, that rant of the, the lady with the dog talking about, mm-hmm how neighbors are supposed to take care of each other. And and that's, I I thought that was going to be kind of the throughput from there to there that he's so focused on Thorwald and he's so off base. And the real problem ends up being Miss Lonely Hearts making a a suicide attempt. Um, I would have, I would have liked that ending. I think I would have liked that ending better. um, But uh, it was, it was fine for what it was. um, But it 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 also when he fell out the window like that um it it uh i just last week i i watch a lot of true crime stuff and mm-hmm. um there was this uh there's this uh there's this on i think it's on peacock 
or Hulu, one of them, um, where they tell stories of things that happen in court. Okay. okay. In courts throughout the country. And there's one where this guy in handcuffs ran out of the, um, the, uh, 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 a courtroom that he was getting ready to be sentenced for or something like that. And he fell off the second floor balcony oh, geez. of the court onto the floor. And, um, there was a, there was a guard that actually ran to try and catch him. And they had been talking about if he had actually gotten under him and caught him, he would have been seriously hurt. And I'm like, and then, and then this whole thing where the, the two guys kind of catch Jimmy's chair. Yeah. I'm like, no, you're going to get hurt. Don't do it. Oh, I will say. Cause that's a big, that's a big drop. It is. That is a big drop. Uh, and he's wearing that big old cast on there too, which is not going to give at all. Um, I will say that no. I don't love the ending because I'm with you. I think that it could have been a more interesting ending to go a little bit subversion uh, of, of sort of what we're expecting and kind of play on the paranoia part of things more. Um, I also, I think from a visual standpoint, we've spent so much of the movie with these like grand sweeping shots of everything and these slow camera movements and all of that. And then to speed up the film at the end gave it sort of that Benny Hill quality when people were running out of one apartment to get to yeah. the other one. And I didn't like that. I thought that that kind of hurt it a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the nice thing is the movie leading up to that is so good that I can give that a lot of a pass um, because again, yeah. these, these characters become interesting and we only get these slices of them, but like Miss Torso ends up with her, her, her man coming home from the military and we meet who he is real quickly there at the end. And you've got yeah. the, the newlywed couple, things are okay. Hit the tension there was because he had just quit his job and they just got married. And I thought, okay, that's, I'm glad that they, gave us something there and we talked about miss lonely heart and the the bell or the fire escape couple getting a new puppy and using the basket again yeah. and kind of all of that and sort of things not necessarily going back to the way that they were but but moving forward from what they were everybody is back yeah. uh the artist lady is back out you know sitting in her in her little courtyard and and all that i really liked all of that it was just that little bit there where, because even when he calls Thorwald and kind of does the blackmail thing of like, you need to go to wherever so they can get into his apartment. Um, I kind of, even at that point, he's acting suspicious, but you're still not entirely sure. You're not a hundred percent sure he actually no. did the thing. Um, so it would have been really, nope, not at all. Would have been really cool if it was instead of he did kill his wife, if it was a he was just cheating on her in some way, and that's what came out. But then the real yeah. problem was the other the other person or something like that. There were a few different ways I you could have gone yeah. at the end of this, um, but I think that overall it's still so much of it is so solid, and it's that it's that building of tension, it's that ratcheting it up, and. I also understand why Hitchcock went the direction that he did because you need some sort of a payoff at the end. And yeah, 
you're you're right in that visually it was very interesting to use the flashbulb to blind the guy when he comes into the apartment. Keep all the lights off and then blind him, even if it didn't work very well. Um, yeah. It was still uh, inventive now, the to tensest, do. One of the tensest moments of the of the movie for me mm-hmm. was when uh, Grace Kelly was out on that fire escape and trying to move to the other window in heels. Ooh, I was yes. like, oh, my God. <laughs> I think my exact uh, my exact thing was climbing into that window in heels. She's crazy. Because I was yeah. half expecting that that was going to be uh, the big thing. And like, again, I'd just forgotten. Like, does she fall? Because yeah. holy crap, it's one, it's <laughs> enough that she climbs, she starts climbing up the ladder in the heels, but then she gets to that fire escape and she's like, well, this window's locked. Oh, this one's open. I'll just, sure. No net, no nothing. You know, I'll just do this. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. You're crazy. So. <sighs> exactly. <laughs> um, I did capture a couple of audio clips from the movie. I thought was kind of uh, okay. Again, there's there's you know good stuff in here, and it's Hitchcock's movies don't necessarily always have like the craziest dialogue. That's not a quippy movie, right? That's not that era of filmmaking, um, right? But I love some of this stuff. We've got like Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart's always good. He was always good and everything. It was it was one of those things. He was just fun to watch. And I love things like uh, this is him talking about his cast on his leg. He's on the phone with his editor at the beginning of the movie. Um, and he, he mentions his cast as next Wednesday, I emerge from this plaster cocoon. This plaster cocoon next Wednesday. <laughs> like the guy was off by a week. And again, there's all the sound. The music you're hearing in the background is somebody's radio from one of the other apartments. And the, the only sound effects are him like slapping his giant cast, which, oof, that cast went from his waist to his foot. Yeah. Like, that's rough. Yeah. That, um, that's, yeah, that's rough. That's, that's not. I, I, I actually oh. had a, a friend of mine, a friend of mine's child um, had uh, fallen through one of those. Um, uh, wells out uh, window wells, and um, oh, yeah. she had had uh, a cast a cast like that. It was uh, it was awful, awful. Oh, and those scratch the scratcher that he's using, mm-hmm. absolutely spot on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely spot on. I will say, so <laughs> I never, I didn't have to have a cast, but I have had a walking boot for a while, and that was bad enough. My dad had a cast from from foot to knee. So just his lower leg, but yeah, he had, um, what he used, we didn't have a a scratcher like that, but he had, um, my sister had had some slap bracelets, which were those metal bands. And, um, he would use that or like a metal ruler and he would just push that down in there and scratch his leg. So I saw that and I was like, oh yeah, that's that one. I can identify with that. Uh, this is both i don't remember what this one was so here we go what do you do are you interested in solving this case or in making me look foolish well it's possible both i like that because again there's tom (laughs) that's that first scene with tom doyle and yeah it's such a great response to the question because 
Jeffries is legitimately asking him this and he's just like, whatever, dude, both. I'll make you look like an idiot and prove you wrong. And they're like, that's the type of, that's the type of banter you only get when you have a, a strong bond with someone. So I did, yeah, I did like sure. that. Uh, here's him again on the phone with his um, editor. If you don't pull me out of this swamp of boredom, I'm going to do something drastic. Swamp of boredom. I want to use that. And then I like to, <laughs> what, what do you mean drastic? I don't know, like get married. Um, so that was, yeah. that was good. Uh, so, okay. Gotta love the fifties for that one. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, Stella. Stella's a great character. The nurse. She she's, is. by the way, she's an insurance company nurse. That's not something we really have anymore. Like that was a product of its time. She works um, for the insurance company to take care of him. Yeah, no insurance companies. Insurance companies still do send out uh, send out nurses. They're just usually hire a company to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You're right, but it's just it just it was the thing where I was like, boy, that feels very much like a 1950s thing. Uh, we don't have a lot of that anymore. But, but actually, she, what felt like it for me because my my dad has had some visiting nurses. Um, okay, is the massaging? Yeah, yeah. I uh, you know I work in healthcare. I don't. I, I, and it, it, I admit I'm, I'm kind of on peripheral. I'm administrative support, stuff like that. So sure. there's, there's things that I don't necessarily see, but if a patient was going to get a massage, there was a massage therapist going to do that. <laughs> there was mm -hmm. no, the nurse was not, the nurse had other better things to do. Yeah. Yep. Not back then. Uh, and I, she's that classic, yeah. like sassy nurse too, right? She's the tough love nurse of like, we're going to do this. We're going to take care of you because, yeah. you know, damn it, you need it. And you need to listen to me. So it's like when yeah. she. And when, I'm not when dealing she, with your uh, nonsense. Yes, exactly. Uh, when she gets the massage oil or whatever, <laughs> and he's like, can't you heat that stuff up? Nah, it's good for your circulation. Like, shut up. I liked her a lot. Um, and she had, she did this one, which is, I'll just play this and then talk about it. Uh, Overproduction, I says. I says. I I don't know what it is about that turn of phrase where you, where you, yeah. you, you state a thing as, and I says, there's just something I love about that. Yeah. So it's, it's her talking about like her intuition. 50s, it is as overproduction. <laughs> I says, it's this, I says, or I says to the guy. Uh, so that was, I loved that. Uh, also, she's giving him the third degree about his relationship and that you know he's got this beautiful woman who loves him and is madly in love with him and wants to marry him and he's being a dingus about it and he says that there's an intelligent way to go about these things and her response to that is perfect nothing has caused the human race so much trouble as intelligence boy if that ain't true <laughs> like intelligence or the idea well, you can't of think it, your the, way the, through emotions no you can't but also like intelligence has given us so much but then you've got to balance that with sort of self-awareness and that's the thing that a lot of people don't have and so her her that statement was just great yeah. <laughs> nothing has caused the human now, race we as a society problem. really only gotten worse with that we always try to 
think our way through emotions. You have to feel them. You can't just talk about them and feel, uh, and, 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 and yeah. try to intelligence your way through the whole thing because they, yeah. they don't make sense. They're not supposed to. No, things have gotten better. That is one thing that I do see is getting a lot better in the last five to 10 years is being, especially for a long time, you know, men were supposed to be stoic and not have emotions. And that, that whole stigma is breaking down and it's okay. Like there's still, obviously there's still idiots out there that that don't believe that you should have any emotions ever. Uh, and that crime is a sign of weakness and all that. that, Not, but yeah. And the the only emotion they're allowed is anger and, and nobody, and, and they don't classify it as an emotion. That's just crazy. Yeah. So I could, I, I could get up on a soapbox and talk about that all night, but, but yeah, the we change, can talk about that, that for the next hour, <laughs> just like, just like the idea, like the idea was always that men need to be stoic and not have any emotions and think everything through. And the only thing that they can feel is anger, blah, blah, blah. And then the flip side of that was that, was that for a long time and still, unfortunately for some people now that women are hysterical and only emotional and they can't think rationally. None of that's true. That's all horse shit. Yeah. Um, we all have emotions. Think, yeah. You can't fully think rationally without including the emotion in yeah. it to give it context. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you can't uh, have nothing but emotions without being able to take a second and try to think rationally or listen to a yeah. rational thought either. There has to be a balance there. So that is one thing yeah. that I'm glad we're getting better at. Um, but yeah. I just loved her line of nothing has caused more problems than intelligence. Uh, <laughs> so, so we mentioned kind of that morale, that, that ethical gray area that Jeffries is sort of existing in. And then uh-huh. you get Liza is falling into that with him, but she has that moment of realization. And I think that's what, ultimately makes them still likable characters by the end is they question what's going on a little bit. And they're sort of questioning their motives and their reasoning behind stuff. And her, her line here was one of those. We're two of the most frightening ghouls I've ever known. (laughs) Two of the most like, because it's that realization of (laughs) in, in that moment of like, Oh God, we're terrible. Why are we doing this? We're ghouls. Yeah. And yeah. that to me was like, yeah. okay, now there's there's are, are good we, in these people. Is this really happening or is it something <laughs> that we want to be happening? Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly that. So that I, I really did like. Um, <laughs> again, uh, the character of LB Jeffries, a little bit of a dick to her. Like not, not the yeah. early on, especially he does not treat her well. Um, yeah. And at one point even says a, a, a true statement, but I'll, I can back it up. If you just shut up for a minute, first of all, you got oh. the Jimmy Stewart shut up for a minute, like the way, but, but then oh. that scene. So that scene can be read so many different ways, right? There, there's, there's a part of you that can identify with Jeffries in the scene where he is trying to say, we didn't get the first part of it. Whatever the first thing was that he said, we didn't hear. And now he's trying to like justify and sort of back up his statement. Meanwhile, on the other side of it, she's just cutting him off every time he starts to talk 
And so, yeah, because she doesn't like the first thing that he said. So he's getting more and more frustrated yeah. because he's like, no, if you just let me explain, it'll make sense. And she's like, you're not going to explain this. I don't care. And I'm not going to let you get a word in. And it's that wonderful, like back and forth of like, there's a butting of heads there. And when yeah. he says that to her and she's like, well, uh, if you're going to be rude about it, it's like, no, he is being rude. I don't, I didn't like the way he was treating her there. Even if I understood what he was trying to do, I'm like, this could all yeah. be fixed if you people yeah. could just communicate better. And, that was, and he kept telling her to shut up. And I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Like once I might be able to be like, okay, we'll, we'll move on from that. But then he said it again and he said it again. I'm like, dude, seriously, back, back yeah. off. Just like, let's, let's not yeah. do that. Um, so yeah, that was, that was one, but it's also just that, that delivery. If you just shut up for a minute is so good because that's, that's Jimmy Stewart the whole way. But and yeah, that, he's and just, that, and that stutter at the, at the beginning. Too. Yeah. I don't feel it too, uh. He, one of the things I always love about Jimmy Stewart, whenever I see him in anything is he's usually just playing a lot of variations of the same character. Like it's, he's always Jimmy Stewart. It's just, which part is he emphasizing? Like, which is the more prominent bit, yeah. but he always feels so natural in the role that he's playing. Yeah. Like it never feels like yeah. Jimmy Stewart playing a character, even though he absolutely is playing a character, but there's something just natural and realistic about his delivery of things. And I think it is a little bit of that, that yeah. stutter that he gets in there and this, slightly flummoxed at times but then there's other times where he's just smooth as silk so it yeah. works um what was let's see oh get out sorry That's that was okay. stella that was another stella one uh, uh but go ahead what were you gonna say <laughs> I'm, before i cut you off i'll play that no, i was just gonna i, I was just say I never didn't realize how strikingly blue his eyes are. Oh, I know. I well, I, I don't. I, I was just like intensely blue, and he's and and in this, I think this is before it's a wonderful life. No, um, I I always after. knew he was considered handsome. Mm -hmm. This is that I always considered that he was handsome, and I I just until this one, it just never struck me just how handsome he was. Yeah, so this was 1954. It's a Wonderful Life is 1939, I think, okay. uh, or 41, maybe. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life is 46. Okay, so he's a few years younger, and it's a Wonderful Life. Okay. The thing about it is, though, what's the first thing you think of when you think of Jimmy Stewart? It's probably It's a Wonderful Life yeah. is usually what most people think, black and white, right? A lot of his stuff was black yeah. and white. He did color. Yeah. But a lot of what, and then, and so then to see him in this and it's technicolor too. So it's just that like punchy, bright, yeah. vibrant color. And you're right. His eyes Absolutely. are just so blue. And yeah, he was a really good looking man. Uh, Ace in yeah. the chat mentions Mr. Smith goes to Washington. That's the other thing. Like the two titles that pop into my head immediately. When you say Jimmy Stewart, I think if it's a wonderful life and Mr. Smith goes to Washington, but they're both black and white. Yeah. And to see, yeah. to see him in something like this is great. Um, but you're right. He's just a, he's a very handsome looking, everybody in this movie really is 
is yeah. striking. Well, you know, Grace Kelly. I, I, I mean, Grace on Earth. I, mean, I swear. <laughs> yeah, that's almost not fair, really, Grace. Yeah. Kelly. <laughs> and then she's climbing over stuff in heels. Come on, like what's what the hell is that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> No, okay, so this was a clip. This was another Stella clip I loved because this is, again, her just taking the mickey out of, out of Jimmy Stewart's character where it's like, ah, oh, you got a beautiful woman. It's the way she does this. Get out of my life, you perfectly wonderful woman. You're too good for me. <laughs> he's, just, he's just done with it. He's dealt with her for six weeks. Probably five of those six weeks have been this constant with her. <laughs> just that sigh from, from Jeffries is so... Oh, it just killed me. <laughs> it was so good. Um, and then one last one, and this is uh, Tom Doyle, and he's questioning Jimmy uh, Jimmy Stewart. He's questioning Jeffries at this point about what happened. And I just I like this line. Now, did anyone, including you, actually see her murdered? Did anyone, including you, actually see her murdered? Or not, because at this point we're still, and 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 it is, it's kind of unraveling in a way. And yeah. as the audience, you're like, well, no, actually we didn't, and we saw a woman yeah. leave with. It's Thorwald. a legit question. It's it's a good one. It's just it's a damn good movie. Yeah. It's a it's a really good movie. Yeah, now it is. here's a, here's my question for you. Based on the fact that we've now established that if someone tells you something is great and you should see it or you should read it, your instinct is to bucket that and to be like, no, don't want yeah. it. I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to, yeah. because you say so, which I get totally. <laughs> well, at that end, and also the first classic book that I was, that I remember being assigned to read was Wuthering Heights in high school. So, mm -hmm. that's so boring, so <laughs> boring, so boring. And, and that and that I kind of associate boring with classic. I, I sure. think it's part of it. Too. I think I can I can understand that. I know for me, some of the things that I hadn't seen uh, movies are going to be the, the first thing I go to because it's kind of it's what I do. I talk about them. But like yeah. the Shawshank Redemption was one that people kept telling, you know, you see it on the top of lists all the time and all this stuff. And I hadn't seen it. And it wasn't a thing that I that I actively avoided. I just hadn't. And so when yeah. I finally sat down and watched it and did it for episode 100 of this show, I went to some friends of mine that had talked to me about it. And I'm like, you people undersold this movie, damn it. Like it was better than you told me it was. <laughs> and my yeah. experience has so far has been that typically if something is regarded as a classic, that it usually is that for a reason and it lives up to that expectation? There are times yeah. where um, it wasn't a classic, but um, the first time I saw Ryan Johnson's Brick, which was being hailed as this neo-noir uh, type of movie and, and so many people were loving it. And the first time I saw it, I had unfortunately built the expectation up too high and I wasn't I didn't quite have the media literacy that I do now and that I'm still striving towards where it was, I can look at the thing under its own merits. And instead yeah. I had built up too much. And then I saw it and I was like, eh, it's all right. It's nothing special. 
But then I watch more Ryan Johnson stuff and I go back and I watch Brick again and I realize, boy, I was way off. Like, it's great. It's great. That I haven't um, seen. Now, I did. Um, I will say I am on the I am on the side of uh, Last Jedi. Good oh, movie. I am too. No, Last Jedi <laughs> and, and, of those. And I think that's three. going to uh, end up being probably hailed as the best of the three in about Easily. 20 years. Easily, because it tried something new and it went in a different direction. And it it's one of those things where it, it's always tricky. It's a double-edged sword to call something a classic because you never know what type of baggage the person watching it or reading it is going to bring in and how they're going to look yeah. at it and how it's going to affect them. Um, but, uh, typically my experience has been if, if, if something is widely regarded as a classic and not, it's different from like a cult classic cult classic is its own sort of thing where for you sure kind of, you kind of have to really be into the thing that is the cult classic. And it's hard to break into that necessarily. You can, yeah. you can come along yeah. and catch a cult classic later on. But it's a little bit tougher. But these universal classics, things like um, uh, the old universal monster movies um, or this type of movie. When I saw The Apartment, I hadn't seen it. And all I'd ever heard about was 12 Angry Men was another one I just watched earlier this year where all I'd ever heard I about was how great 12 Angry Men best. was. Yeah. And uh it's all you ever hear about is how great this is and all and all that. And I sat down to watch it like, all right, we're going to take this in. I'm sure it's going to be a little bit slow, but it'll be fine. No, that movie like melted my brain and I could not believe how good it was. And I still yeah. think about that movie almost every day since I've seen yeah. it at yeah, some it's, point it's or another. Crazy good. Crazy good. So how did this for you do as something that had been put up there as a classic and a Hitchcock and your first experience of Alfred Hitchcock, how did that work for you? Do you did you feel some of that? Is it something where you would dive into and watch more Hitchcock movies? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, this, I was, I, I am, I'm blown, I'm blown away because it was, um, you know, you always hear about how fantastic it was. And, and I don't necessarily agree with what with people when they say a, a movie is fantastic but the, in this case i i am um and i'm also trying to uh trying to take things on their merits in the time that they're in like you were saying mm -hmm. um my my experience uh, with that partially is is my experience from uh when i watched the phantom menace um and and yeah. the, i to, when I first saw the Phantom, uh, when I first saw the trailer for the Phantom Menace, the trailer for the Phantom Menace was released with one of the Next Generation movies. I can't remember oh, which one. Um, uh, that would and, have been and, Insurrection at the time. Yeah. Okay. And and I, if I am remembering right, I did not expect it. To be in front of that movie i was not aware of that because it you know we didn't the internet wasn't the thing it is now right. and i'm sitting there you know uh on the, the first day that it releases and the lucasfilm logo comes on and the hair on my arms stood up 
Okay. <laughs> that's how, that's how Star Wars is for me. Okay. Yeah. And I, I thought the, I thought the, the trailer was fantastic. I consumed every, every piece of media I could find leading up to Phantom Menace. It was a disappointment to me. Um, and, uh, that's all you know the reasons for that have kind of been hashed out to death but i also realized that part of the reason it was a disappointment to me was because it didn't live up to what my expectation of what that movie was going to be mm -hmm. so for movies like that i have i have tried to it doesn't always work because i get excited just like anybody else sure. what i try to do is i watch the initial trailer and then leave it alone so that I can walk into that movie and let the movie be what the movie is and not go in there with expectations of what it's going to be. Yeah. So, um, so, which is, and, and, and I tried to, to apply do. it for movies. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not, you know, when I go into movies like this, I try to apply that same mentality let the movie be what it is that mm -hmm. being said that didn't work for me with um what's that big movie with audrey hepburn breakfast uh, at tiffany's breakfast at tiffany's did not work for me at all <laughs> there was just too much baggage in that that just i just the misogyny was all over the place the, the racism and everything else it didn't work for me this there's a lot of misogyny present and I usually have a hard time with that, but I was able to get past that and really kind of accept this movie for what it is. And, and yeah, I, I, it's definitely lived and, up to the hype. And, and it's interesting also because you're right. There is some of that is just the product of the time. It's the 1950s. It's written by a Absolutely. man. It's directed by a man. Um, that's going to happen. It was, not looked at as misogynistic in its time because that's just the world how a lot of the world was or how it was portrayed um looking at it through the lens yeah. of 2023 we're going to see things very differently but i think also this movie does do a very good job of giving characters like miss lonely hearts miss torso and liza and stella agency too they're not for sure like miss Miss Torso is a perfect example of it. She is set up for most, almost the entirety of the movie to just be this pretty face, beautiful woman dancing in her apartment all the time. And that's not who she is. And we get that reveal at the end that she's not solely that. That's yeah. an aspect of her, yeah. but it's not who she is. And Liza being in love with Jeffries and us not fully understanding it, but then kind of we kind of get an idea of that by the end, but also she ha at any point can leave and does kind of try to um, even at one, at one stage when, cause he had the line of, can't we just keep things status quo? And I was just like, Oh, yeah. Oh, you cheese ball. Like just get out of there. Lady. <laughs> yeah. He is not worth yeah. it for you, but she doesn't. No. And it's her choice not to. And that, yeah. was the thing that I did appreciate was that there is agency there and they do have that choice. I think Hitchcock was pretty good about that for the most part. Like, and yeah. also I'm glad that you really liked this one 
what's great about it is you can watch you'll be able to watch more hitchcock movies and they're not all they're they're all a lot of them are suspenseful and thrillers but they're not the same it's not the same formula it's not the same style north by northwest is a very different movie from this is a very different movie from psycho um and they all do things a little bit differently and so i think you're going to i think you'll appreciate that and, and enjoy that a lot as you if you do start to explore kind of his movies a lot more um and they're all in the same era like they're all in that kind of forties yeah. yeah. through the sixties and, and whatnot. Um, early seventies. And I can remember like watching Alfred Hitchcock presents when I was growing up would show on reruns yeah. and stuff. So, yeah. but, and it, I, it's and, and what, one of the, one of the cool things about it is, is you, you, you always hear about how influential he is on, on modern day cinema mm -hmm. and you can actually see the basis of that. In oh this. yeah. And oh, it's, absolutely. It's, it's kind of cool to see. It's kind of cool to see. You, you get to see the origin of the derivative. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. You, you get know, to see the thing. things we've seen before, but you, this is, this is the original. This is where it came from. Like if you, um, a movie that I just saw recently, uh, was Nope from Jordan Peele. And you can see okay. so much of the influence of Alfred Hitchcock in that movie that the influence that he had and that Rod Serling had and some of these creators had on on people like Jordan Peele who are taking that they're taking the influence of these filmmakers and they are not only adjusting it for today's audiences but they're also adjusting it through their lens of their experiences Jordan Peele is injecting a lot sure. of social commentary into it from the perspective of who Jordan Peele is in his life which I mean Serling yeah. did all sorts of that too and I love seeing that so you're right it's it's great to go back and see where the influence came from where the things started on it's like yeah. it's like listening to uh if you're somebody who's <clears throat> you know younger and you listen to Greta Van Fleet on the radio the rock band and you can go back and listen to something like Led Zeppelin and hear the influence of Led Zeppelin in Greta Van Fleet. Um, or you yeah. hear the influence yeah. of, you know, some of these jazz musicians in certain things. Like it's great to go back and experience that. And that's what I love yeah. about, uh, and why I, I do think that it's great that we have so much entertainment at our fingertips because there's so much new stuff coming out that is fantastic but it's still great to go back and see some of the old things. Uh, one of the other shows that I do, if, uh, if you're not familiar with it, listening to this one is those were the days we talk about classic TV on that and it's all TV shows pre 2000. Oh, no, I was not aware of that one. Yeah. Okay. So we do, we talk about any, basically if the show started before the year 2000, we'll discuss it at some point. Um, we, we come up with different themes and, and everything all the time, but we've gone back and watched stuff like, uh, you know, um, Lucille Ball or uh, or you know Green Acres and all of this and it's stuff that some of it we grew up with reruns like the the four of us that are on it are all right around the same age kind of mid 30s into early 40s um, so okay. but we also get sort of this swath like my co-host Stephen is 35 36 years old but he is definitely 100% like an old man like he grew up watching, he, he skipped some of the stuff that would be on in the mid nineties to watch like reruns on Nick at night. 
because those were the shows he wanted to watch. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, it's really fun though, to go back and see this stuff and see like, see yeah. how good Lucille Ball was and how funny she yes. was. And she was like, just oh, amazing. So good. And, yeah. and then knowing that like, again, they had to crawl so that other artists could walk and to give yeah. us this new stuff, you know, Carol O'Connor doing all in the family. And that show is responsible for us having things like uh, the Simpsons or family guy in a lot of ways. It's also responsible yeah. for us having yeah. a lot of other sitcoms and things like that. And I just love that. And so like going back and seeing things like Hitchcock, all of the stuff that he did, and then you can start to see like, Oh, okay. Now I see where that trope came yeah. from. It's why at the beginning I was talking about slasher movies owing a lot to Halloween. And I think part of that is I just heard a discussion about that movie where one of the people on the, the, in the discussion had never seen it before. They watched it for the first time and they didn't enjoy it. They were, they were talking about how boring it was. And my thought was like, well, it was such a different time when they made that, but so much of what that movie did, you've seen the derivatives of and the build upons and taking that and, and refining that formula over the last 40 mm -hmm. plus years. Um, so if you can. It still blows my mind that that's William Shatner, a William Shatner mask. <laughs> I know. <laughs> or the fact that they made that whole movie for $300,000. Like they made that movie right? for almost nothing. Um, yeah. But uh, all of those shows that you're talking about, I am Gen X. I'm going to be 54 in January. Okay. Mm -hmm. I am steeped in all of those old sitcoms because I didn't have anything else to watch when I got home from school. Yeah. I was a latchkey mm -hmm. kid. That's what was on was reruns yep. of the Brady Bunch. I have seen every single episode of the Brady Bunch, probably more than 20 times. Um, Facts of life, different strokes, uh, silver spoons, all, all yep. of that stuff. I watched all that stuff because that was what was on. Yeah, I, di I didn't have a choice. <laughs> and what's Gilligan's great going Island, back. Holy moly. Yeah. And, and what's great going back and looking at some of this old stuff, too, is the fact that, yes, there is a nostalgia factor to it, but there's also just really good artistry at play in a lot of it. Some of it less so. Some of it doesn't hold up as well. Um, and aspects of yeah. it, this movie in particular, as you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, there's parts of Rear Window. While it's got an eight and a half rating on IMDb, you know, the Rotten Tomatoes score, whatever, whatever metric you want to use to talk about this and the way people talk about Rear Window, it's always high praise. But it's not perfect. There are things, especially today, yeah. 70 years later, or almost 70 years later, that don't age particularly great. But that's, that's part of what I love about film and television and books is that they're time capsules. They're a slice of yeah. what was going on. Then you look at this movie and this era of Hollywood style filmmaking doesn't exist anymore. And really in about 15 years from when this movie came out, thereabouts would start to change. We would go away from these kind of studio soundstage productions to the seventies era and that sort of a cinema verite idea of more realistic gritty stuff, things like the French connection, the exorcist, all of that. So to go back and see this, this little time capsule of 1954 and we're watching a movie that literally was just one giant soundstage. They built a big set on and everything was filmed there. 
even though it's yeah. made to look like it's outdoors. Like that kind of stuff is just cool to me. So it's, and it's fun to, it's fun to give that experience to someone else too. So I'm glad that you got to watch this and I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Um, because I do think that uh, it is a very, very good movie um, and that it's classic status didn't uh, turn you away too much. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> that's another movie. Actually. I've never seen, I've never seen the French connection. I hear all that's about it. One. You know, that, 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 that car chase in it is the, is like the pinnacle of what everybody talks about, but I've never actually seen it. <laughs> yeah. That car chase is crazy. It's even crazier when you hear all the behind the scenes stuff with it. Uh, because oh, wow. like, they didn't uh they didn't have filming licenses to to film that they didn't stage that car chase it just they just put a dude in the car and said drive in new york city like (laughs) literally people talk all the time about oh you couldn't make this movie today oh you couldn't make that movie today no you literally could not do what they did in the french connection today you would get arrested in no time like they put that on film and got away with it and yeah, guerrilla filming still happens, but not, probably not to that scale. Not to that scale, no. Um, well, thank you so much for being on this week. This is great. I'm glad that we got you back because it was a fun conversation talking about Disney oh. and animation, and now we get to go back and talk about some old Hollywood. And this was this was a lot of fun. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, if anybody wants to find you online, are you are you on any of the socials? Are you active at all, or just in Discord, or? Yeah. Um, uh, what they've done to Twitter slash X has uh, <laughs> kind of really turned me off, and I really I, I'm I'm blue sky, but not really, and uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not that active on. Fair enough. I'm, I'm basically in kind of the um, the Frog Pants Discord, you know. Uh, okay. Your your Discord. <laughs> Honestly, you're probably smarter for that. If uh, if yeah. I'm being honest, like better for my mental health. Yes. Well, thank you so much. We're definitely going to do this again. We'll have I'll, I'll have you back on anytime. We'll find another another something uh, for you to watch. Maybe another Hitchcock movie. There's Maybe plenty. not. We'll see. There's there's plenty out there. But uh, thank you so yeah, much. This has been there. a lot of fun. Um, I do this show weekly. Uh, record it Sunday nights, eight p.m. Eastern time at Twitch.tv/tvstravis. So you can come hang out like Sirnex or Ace uh, in the chat room. Uh, if you want. Otherwise, the show comes out on Wednesdays, anywhere you get your podcasts, including YouTube. Uh, and tvstravis.com is an easy way to find the RSS feed. There's links there for places um, to find the show, to find other shows I work on, like those were the days that I mentioned, uh, as well as merchandise. There's a Patreon for this show. Uh, if you want to join that, it's a little as a dollar an episode. It's patreon.com slash W-Y-H-S. Um, there is I am working on some exclusive content that's going to be going up for patrons only here very shortly. Um, So if you want to get involved in that, you can join the Patreon. Otherwise, um, the show is always free. And uh, if you do want to watch a video version of this or the podcast version through YouTube, uh, a subscription on that channel helps it a ton. I'm really trying to start boosting subscriptions there uh, just to get it more discoverable. Um, and then I'm on all the social medias as TV's Travis, because I have a problem and, <laughs> but I'm there. So whether it's threads or blue sky or even Twitter, uh, Mastodon, you can find me if you want to. And I'm always happy to talk about movies, comic books, uh, TV shows, music, 
Uh, music is something I don't get to talk about enough, and I, I love to talk about it. So if you want to, start up a conversation with me. Um, I'm I'm always happy to do that. But until next week, which I have a fun one coming up for next week. Uh, let me find this here real quick. Because my guest will be Charles McFall from uh, Dragon Con. He's coming back. And we're going to talk about a movie with Ryan Reynolds in it I had never heard of before called The Nines. I know nothing about this movie, uh, but he seemed to say, no, I don't either. <laughs> he said it was a good one. Uh, so we're going to check that out. And that'll be next week. The nines uh, with, with Ryan Reynolds. And I don't know who else I'm hundred percent in the dark on this one. So that's, what's coming up next week. So until then, just remember everyone to enjoy your movies. And regardless of how crazy social media is, let's be excellent to each other. Well, what would he be selling at 3 o'clock in the morning? Flashlights. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>